Well, hey, it is so good to be back with you today. I want to give a big shout out to those of you who are worshiping with us on Facebook Live right now, or uh, you're at Crossroads West. We are so glad that you have taken part of your day uh, to be a part of our experience. And, and today we are going to keep going in this series called Fearless that uh, we have been in for the past month or so. And, and throughout this series, if you've been with us, you know that we have been kind of slowly walking through this book in the Bible called First Peter. Now, First Peter was a letter that was written about 2000 years ago to some followers of Jesus that were walking through some difficulty. They were being challenged and, and persecuted for their faith. And instead of following Jesus, making their life easier, what they realized was that becoming a Christian actually made their life harder. It, it was more of a challenge. And, and so they started second guessing themselves. They started wondering, did we make the right decision? A lot of us have probably experienced buyer's remorse before. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, buyer's remorse is when you really want something, you save money for it, you buy it only for it to not really fulfill your expectations and you kind of regret buying it. How many of you just buy a show of hands have ever experienced buyer's remorse with something you got at maybe a restaurant? Yeah, okay. Or what about buyer's remorse with a car or a house, something big like that? All right, a few of us. Have you ever had buyer's remorse after your wedding with your spouse, anybody? Yeah, you bet, yeah, good, you didn't put your hand up. At last hour, we had like six people. And uh, long ride home, I can imagine. Well, that, I imagine that's how these believers felt because it invited persecution into their life once they decided to follow after Jesus. And, and whenever life gets challenging, we tend to lose focus. I mean, when the storm is raging on, we don't see things as clearly and, and focus matters. And and it's not that these Christians weren't focusing on something, it's just that they weren't focused on the right thing. And, and so Simon Peter stepped into the middle of their circumstances, wrote them this letter to say, hey, let me remind you, keep perspective, keep your focus on, on what's right and true and, and most important. In his book, uh, Robert, um, uh, there's this author, Robert Wiseman, that talks about how uh, Years ago, back in the 1970s, a group of psychologists got together and performed this experiment with a couple hundred volunteers. Now, here was the experiment. Here was the basis of it. They, they threw up on a TV screen about 30 seconds of this basketball team throwing a basketball back and forth. And the psychologists, before uh, they played this video, they said, hey, we just want you to count how many times the ball is passed between teammates. All right, now what the volunteers didn't know is that as this video was being played, a man dressed in a giant gorilla costume ran right in front of the camera, got right in front of the lens and started beating his chest back and forth like this. And they thought, will people even notice it? Well, after the 30 second video was done, uh, the psychologist said, okay, how many times was, was the ball passed? Well. As they, as they asked more questions, to their surprise, out of a couple hundred people, only a handful of individuals actually saw the gorilla run across the screen and beat his chest right in front of the basketball team. They were astounded by this because they learned that the people were so fixated on accomplishing the task before them that they completely missed out on seeing the gorilla that consumed the, the camera lens. They totally missed something that was extremely obvious. And I think sometimes in the church, we tend to miss the gorilla as well at times. I mean, when we come home in the evenings and, and we're eating dinner with our family, we maybe are so fixated on, 
on our, our emails. And so we've got our, our phone in one hand, our fork in another. We're not really engaging with our children. And, and after all, I mean, our clients, they, they need us to get back with them right away. I mean, is it possible we might be missing the gorilla? Or maybe recently you, you just chewed out your neighbor because he left his trash cans out all week long after the garbage man came. And every time you feel a little bit of guilt about it, you write yourself off by saying, well, I told him. I mean, he knew better. I wrote that anonymous letter back in the fall. He, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't have done that, right? And is it possible we might be missing the gorilla? You know, every, every time a, a mass shooting happens, some of us are quick to get on social media and, you know, stay, well, it's because of, of gun control. We need more gun control or we need less gun control. And so something that is extremely tragic quickly becomes a political debate. It, is it possible that inside the church we're, we're, missing, we're missing the gorilla? Now, oftentimes when we misplace our focus, it's because of some bigger issue, some deeper problem. And, and for these first century believers that Simon Peter was writing to, their misplaced focus was because of fear, that they were scared. Their challenging circumstances diverted their attention from what was most important. And so Peter is, is addressing this, and that's what we're going to pick up today. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of First Peter. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you or chair below below you. All right, First Peter can be found in the back of your Bibles uh, in between the book of James and Second Peter. And uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 of First Peter, okay? So as, as a way to divert their attention from lesser important things, here's what, here's what Peter reminds them. As the, the heat continues to uh, come upon them every which direction, he says this, all right, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Now, right here, Simon called these men and women to, uh, to, to face their challenges fearlessly, right? I mean, that, that word translated, arm yourselves, is actually a, a military a term in the original uh, language. It, it, it referred to when soldiers were called to put on armor and to prepare for, for battle, that, that that's what they did. And, and so these Christians were told that, that following and focusing on Jesus who defeated death would actually lead to fearlessness in their life. Jesus has all authority. He has all control. He, he is sovereign. He is strong. He, he is the warrior that we follow. And, and yet, why does he say, well, since Christ suffered in his body? That's a reference to the crucifixion of Jesus when Jesus was subjected to the Roman authorities and was put on the cross, died. And, and you might think to yourself, well, the authority of Jesus and, and, and the death of Jesus, those are incompatible. That seems like an oxymoron. I mean, how, how could Jesus be strong and yet be a victim? How, how could Jesus be this warrior? yet his life end by being hung on a cross. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of the perceptions that a lot of us walk around with about Jesus that have been created in our minds wouldn't inspire a lot of confidence for us to, to walk into battle with. I mean, very few of us would actually follow some versions of Jesus into a war. Most versions of Jesus that we hang on to is some effeminate, politically correct, nice guy who just belongs on a Hallmark card. Well, I'm supposed to follow that guy? Now, one of the reasons why uh, this 
has happened, and, and for one of the reasons why we have this problem is because of the industrial revolution that happened in America a couple hundred years ago. What does that have to do with anything? Well, this actually pulled men from the church. Why is that? Well, on Sunday morning, instead of husbands and dads being found in, in churches on Sunday morning, they were at the coal mine, the factory, assembly lines. And so as a result, over time, the church was full of, of women and children. And so knowing their audience, understanding who they were talking to, pastors and, and priests started overlooking the rough, masculine, and even strong traits of Jesus while emphasizing his kindness, his compassion, his politeness, and, and so since then, the impression is that you've got to give up your man card in order to show up at church, in order to, to follow after Jesus. But, but is, that, is that really who Jesus is? Is that really the Jesus of the Bible? You see, our nation will only be as good as our men. And the only way men can learn to be men is to keep running after the real Jesus, not some cheap imitation from Hallmark. You see, the Jesus in the Bible is fearless. The Jesus that we read about in the Bible is, is strong. He never backed down. He always stood in, in between someone who was abusing a woman or a child, and he said, hey, look, you've got to get through me in order to get to that person first. He, he protected the vulnerable. He protected the weak. He and if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the issues that fall hardest on women and children go back to the fact that somewhere along the way, a man neglected his responsibility to be who he was called to be. And so if we don't get this right as a church, if we don't really understand who Jesus really is, we will continue producing a bunch of men who are neglecting their responsibilities to take responsibility and to be who God called them to be. And so in... <clears throat> Simon Peter compares this life to a battle and he says, look, you've basically got three options as you follow Jesus in this world. Your three options are this, you can run and hide, you can go with the flow, you can disguise yourself, blend in, or you can live from victory. Now, if you think about it, soldiers that run and hide, they're motivated by fear, right? Now, if you're going with the flow, if you're disguising yourself, it's because you aren't really all that confident with the power that, that maybe you have. But, but in order to live from victory, you've got to have a bigger understanding, a fuller perspective of the outcome of the war. You see, living from victory, it means coming from this place of, of realizing that the power in you is far greater than the power that is before you. You are so confident that the battle is going to be won that that motivates every decision you make from here on out. And you see, more than anything else, these Christians needed to realign their lives with what Jesus said was right and true so that it could give them the confidence to keep pressing on in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being fired, in the midst of being tossed out of their communities, ostracized from their families. Now, fearless is just another word for faith. Why is that? Well, we often say around here, you can, live, you can live by fear, you can live by faith, but you can't live by both, right? Because faith is the opposite of fear. And so let me say it like this, fearless is about living from victory rather than for victory. What's the difference? Well, the motivation, living from victory, you're confident that the battle is being won, whereas when we live for victory, we think it's upon us, and so we walk around anxious, insecure, and, and worried, and, and from the moment you, you lean your life on Jesus, we need to understand that we have not been promised that, that life is just going to be a, a walk through the park. It's not going to be easy, and Jesus said it best when he said, hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to stink at times. 
A couple days later, after saying that, they nailed him to a cross. I think Jesus knows what he's talking about, okay? And so when we give our life to him, that doesn't mean that, that cancer cells are never gonna replicate. That doesn't mean that she's always gonna come home, that he's always gonna keep his word, that, that your kids will never get wrapped up in drugs, that they'll always do what you ask them to do. No, the difference between fearless and fearful is where we focus, the difference between fearless and fearful is where we focus. Spiritual growth, maturity, okay, is measured by the amount of faith that we have. Knowing you're on the winning side frees you to be confident and, and having that focus prevents us from seeing pain and, and suffering and grief and trials as ultimate setbacks in life. That's why Peter made this transition in verse seven. He said, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, up until this point, Simon Peter had told these believers that they were holy and chosen. He reminded them of their identity, who Jesus said that they were, that yeah, they were, they were broken, but when, when they came before a holy God, he, he had the ability to bring these broken pieces back together. In fact, he promised that, that God was actually building them into something great. And then a shift took place here in verse seven. This was Simon Peter's way of saying, hey guys, don't miss the gorilla. I mean, don't get so fixated on your circumstances that are before you that, that you actually miss out on what's really happening. You see, the, the church has promised victory in the end. It's interesting that, that after telling uh, the church to, to shift their focus and realize that, that we live from victory, Peter says to, to be alert, to be of sober mind so that we may pray, so that we may converse with our heavenly father. Why is that? Well, because when we live for victory, we're rooted in fear. We're paralyzed. Again, we think it's upon us. We're experiencing a lot of pressure and, and fear tends to distract us from what's actually true and what's actually happening. Uh, there was a moment in time when Simon Peter learned this the hard way. Now, we're told in, in Matthew's biography about Jesus that, that 12 of Jesus' friends were, were out in a boat one day in the middle of a lake. It was a lake called the Sea of Galilee. And, and all of a sudden, they see this ghost-like figure walking towards them. Well, it ends up being Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. They can't believe it. They're ecstatic. And so Simon Peter, kind of being a sporadic, you know, off-the-cuff kind of guy he was, stood up and said, hey, Jesus, if that's you, then, then tell me to walk out to you. And so he, he initially had this confidence that, that hey, if, if you say I can walk on water, I can walk on water. Check out what Matthew said happened next. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Okay, so that this was motivated out of understanding he, he is walking from victory. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why, why, did, why did you doubt? Why, why, why did you question me? Now, now, Matthew specifically said that, that when Peter began to, to sink, it was because he lost his focus. His focus initially was on Jesus. That's what inspired him to actually get out of the boat and to begin walking on water. But the moment he saw the wind and the waves starting to pick up, he got overwhelmed. His focus went from Jesus to staring at the wind and the waves. And all of a sudden, fear set in. He felt paralyzed and he, he lost his focus. Well, let me ask you, what, what are the wind and the waves in your life right now? What, what, what is begging for your attention to maybe 
Take your focus off who Jesus says he is and, and look at this issue. I mean, look, look at this problem. How are you gonna solve that? What, what are the wind and the waves for you that just strike fear in you? What, what do you carry in here today that has you just paralyzed, It has you distracted in life right now? My experience has been that sometimes when my problems seem way too big, it's because my view of Jesus is, is way too small. Now, just cards on the table. I gotta be straight with you for just a second. One thing I struggle with is worry and anxiety, all right? Now, in the church, we tend to write worry and anxiety off as, well, you know, everybody struggles with not that big of a deal, but you do understand that Jesus takes worry as a, as a pretty serious thing. It's a really big deal because we wouldn't say it out loud, but worry is basically our way of saying, you know what, God? I, I, I don't really trust you. Worry happens when we take our focus off of, of Jesus and, and onto our problem. And yet when that happens, we miss the gorilla. Worry is evidence that, that we have failed to actually fully trust God with a certain part of our life. It's our way of maybe fighting for victory rather than from victory. Worry puts us on the defensive but if victory really is certain for us, why in the world would we need to go on the defensive? As Christians, we're actually called to go on the offensive, all right? Take a look at verse eight. Peter said, but above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. All right, right here we learn one of the truest definitions of, of love. We read that love covers over a multitude of sins. That's what Simon Peter explains it as. Now that means that, that love isn't blind. Love isn't about ignoring the faults or, or mistakes of people. It's not about uh, totally overlooking the way that you have been hurt in the past. No, it is, it's not about withholding love until somebody earns it or deserves it. That's how we tend to operate. In our westernized, romantic, saturated culture, we tend to reduce love down to a, a feeling or an emotion, but, but love isn't a feeling, it's an action. It, it's really a decision that, that we make. Now, the practical expression of love that uh, Simon Peter gives here is, is offer hospitality. Now, we have to understand the context behind this to, to really, really realize how this was a form of love. Okay, when we think of hospitality, we think of Martha Stewart, right? I mean, Martha Stewart, she'd have this verse on a magnet on her refrigerator, wouldn't she? Yeah. But, well, that, that has nothing to do with what Simon Peter's actually saying. Why? Because we tend to confuse hospitality with entertainment. Well, what's the difference between the two? Well, entertainment is all about you. Entertainment is all about people seeing how great you are, how clean your countertops are, how much your home looks like Chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper, okay? That's what entertainment is all about. It's very me-focused. But the hospitality that, that Simon Peter is talking about here is really about focusing on the other individual. It, it, it's about serving the other person, welcoming them into your life and saying, hey, what can I do to meet your needs? It, it's, all, it's all about focus, you see? Now, in the ancient world, hospitality was always given towards foreigners, exiles, aliens, or uh, strangers. That, that, that's who the Bible continuously says offer hospitality to these uh, certain types of people. Now, what's interesting is that one of the very first titles or labels that Simon Peter gave these Christians 
He referred to them as exiles, as aliens, as foreigners. You feel like you just don't fit in, right? I mean, your faith is calling you to live one way against culture. And you wonder, man, do I, do I even belong here? And so when he says, hey, offer hospitality, Simon Peter is basically saying, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember that, that even when he could have rejected you, even when he could have avoided you, even when he could have been so disgusted and disappointed and, and thrown you out, he actually welcomed you into his home. He welcomed you into his family. And if you really understand that, if you get that, then the evidence will be seen in in how you treat others who need that as well. That's our motivation, you see. And so let me ask you something. How intentional are you doing with this? I mean, how how well are you doing at at maybe engaging your neighbors? Does does the fear of someone else's sin keep you from welcoming them into your life? Is there someone that you've worked beside for several years that you'd still consider a stranger? You You don't really know them? In verse 10, Peter goes a little bit deeper with this. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, first off, I want you to notice how he says that we are faithful stewards. What's that all about? Well, steward is a fancy Bible word that that simply refers to someone who has been entrusted with something much bigger than themselves in this life. Now, there are really only two kinds of stewards in this world, and you fall in one of these two camps. There are stewards who, who... faithfully embrace and accept responsibility. And then there are stewards who reject responsibility by blaming, pointing the finger, or making excuses. Now, whether you know it or not, the God of this universe has actually entrusted a small part of his kingdom to you. And so because of that, he has also given you certain resources, certain gifts, certain relationships, or maybe even experiences in your past to help bring about his kingdom in this dark and broken world. Now, maybe that sounds really confusing and a little bit mysterious, but, but let's, get, let's get practical here with this, okay? What if you aren't where you are by accident? What if you aren't where you are by accident? I mean, if God really created the heavens and the earth and, and Jesus defeated death, crashed his funeral, is it possible that he has actually placed you in an environment right now to be around certain people who need to understand his grace in a way that they never have before? Is, is it possible that that could, that could be taking place? I mean, what if there are certain people in your life for reasons much greater than, than being your supervisor, your direct report, your, your coworker? What if there's actually a bigger purpose behind you being where you are at the, at the factory or, or in the office or at the garage? Is it possible that God has created you to be where you are for right now for the purpose of strategically using your gifts and abilities? This past week, I was with a, a friend of mine who has special needs and it's tough for him to do anything just, just by himself. He, he gets around on a, on a wheelchair. It, it's hard for him to carry on a conversation at times and for him to to talk at times, it's hard to understand what what he's saying. But he's always had a joyful spirit about him and he's always had such a a good attitude. And and as I was sitting down with him the other day, we we, we were talking and and I could tell that he was was frustrated and angry about something that's not like him. So I said, hey man, what's going on? What what are you dealing with? How are you struggling? 
And in a moment of vulnerability, he opened up and, and he just talked about how he feels like he has some greater purpose for his life, some greater mission, but, but he's being held back. And I said, well, well, what makes you think that you were being held back? He didn't say anything. He, he just pointed at his wheelchair and said that basically that this is holding me back. And so I, I said, man, I, I, I don't know what it's like to be in a wheelchair every single day. It'd be condescending for me to say, yeah, I, I, know, I know what you're going through because to be honest with you, I, I don't. I said, but let me encourage you with something. That wheelchair, that wheelchair is your platform. That wheelchair is your stage. That, that wheelchair is your pulpit because you are gonna be able to connect with people in ways that others can't. People like me, I, I won't be able to impact some people the way that you can. Why? Because in your brokenness and, and, and even when you've had every reason to turn your back on God, that wheelchair is evidence that, that you are hanging on to his promises even when the storm keeps raging on and on and on. And you know what? We're told in the Bible that, that in our weakness, he, he is strong. That, that's what God does, and that's it. And also take heart knowing that a day is coming when that wheelchair is gonna go to hell, all right? And you are gonna be able to walk and be in the ever-present, all-consuming glory and joy of the Lord Jesus Christ for, for all of eternity. That, that is the hope that is before us. And it got me thinking, this is, the only, this is the only time right now in this life, this is the only time that we will ever experience time. God, God made us in his image. He, he basically pulled us out of eternity. We're actually headed towards eternity where we're not gonna be limited by time in, in any way. We're not gonna be bound by anything. That There won't be any kind of constraints or anything like that. And so what that means is that in this life, in this world, it is the only time that we will actually ever experience time. That's really deep, I, I know, but that also calls us and should challenge us to realize that since this is the only time that we will ever experience time, how are we using the time? What are we doing with the time that we have since we're headed towards a time when there will be no time? And so Simon Peter said, hey, you've got to make the most of it, okay? It's like a battle, but walk with confidence knowing this. It goes like this, that wherever you are in life as you fight this battle, all right, yeah, we're asleep up there, okay? You have what you need to win where you are. You have what you need to, to, to win where you are. All right, well, when Peter told these believers to use the gift that they had received, he was referring to specific abilities, personality traits, talents, and experiences each of them possessed to be the way that they are. All of us are different, and oftentimes we use our differences to, to divide us and to separate us, right? All of us are different, and sometimes that, that division can happen because of how each of us are wired, but avoiding certain uh, people who are different prevents you from really having a fuller picture of who God is. What's interesting is that the Greek word for gift that Peter used right here, in, I think in verse 10, comes from the same root word where we get the word grace from. And so our gifts, in other words, our gifts help others experience and see God's grace. It's why he said that, that it, our gifts help others see grace in its various forms. There are so many different facets and, and unique ways to look at the grace of God and the mercy of what he has done for us. And so if you truly have what you need to win where you are, it begins for us by, by understanding first what we have. That seems really simplistic, right? But a lot of us, we have unique abilities and gifts. We don't even know it because you just assume everyone else has it. But what if you're missing out on an opportunity 
and to actually do, do what God has called you to do. And, and so what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna walk through about nine different, real briefly, nine different patterns or categories that describe how a lot of us uh, have been made. And so out of these different categories, you're gonna fall in one or two of them. All right, from these categories, we can identify gifts that God has given to us, okay? This comes from a book by John Ortberg, all right? And what I want you to do is I want you to, um, w- when a certain category comes up on the screen that identifies with you, you think that describes me to a T, I want you simply to write it down, all right? There may be one or two of them, no more than three that should define you, all right? Take a picture of the screen with your phone, do what you have to do, but I want you to write down and take note of what that category is for you because it's gonna play into the homework that we have uh, here in just a second, okay? The first category, and we're going to go through this real briefly, first category are those that we would refer to as reformers. Reformers, this describes those of us who strive to be perfect in everything that we do. We have a high standard of excellence. This might be those of us who who love to study. Reformers, uh, more than likely, were the people in your class growing up that nobody liked because they always got upset when they got an A- on the test. You know who I'm talking about? Those are reformers. The second, the second category are those that we might refer to as servers, okay? Servers love to care for people. They have a lot of compassion. Sometimes these are the people who love to support others. They're the first ones to, to do the dishes or uh, to text you on your birthday. Those are servers, all right? The third category are what we would simply call achievers, all right, achievers love to, to be noticed by other people. They, they love for their work to be seen. They love to be recognized for some accomplishment. They love talking in front of people. They love leading people, motivating other people to action. This is actually the category that I would most identify with, okay? Now, according to the book, achievers are usually the best looking and the smartest people in the room. <laughs> it's in the book, all right? <clears throat> Fourth category, artist. All right, sometimes we'll refer to them as creatives. This is a rather unique bunch, right? They love to express themselves in ways that stand out. Beauty drives them. Artists tend to be more sensitive and emotionally driven. Fifthly, there are thinkers. Thinkers love to know everything. They, they thrive on maybe mastering a new hobby or a new skill. This describes those of you who never back down from an argument. You always have to be right. You refuse to allow anyone to interrupt you. Anybody married to one of these? Yeah, buyer's remorse, right? Yeah. (laughs) Number six, they're loyalists. All right, loyalists love being a part of a team. They they need to be around other people. They love pursuing a common mission in community with other people. You know a loyalist? Maybe you identify with this group, number seven, enthusiast. They tend to be the life of the party, center of attention. They are high energy and uh, love to, to, you know, always, always attracting attention. That They may not say it out loud, but enthusiasts are the people who wish to be the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> they love to be it, right? Number eight, they're commanders. Th- these people understand leadership, desire authority and responsibility. Conflict and opposition doesn't make them back down. It actually maybe energizes you. Others who disagree with you may be somewhat intimidated by, by how you can come across. You, you may be really strong in that way. The last category are peacemakers. This describes those of you that love nature. You never feel more alive than when everything is calm and quiet. They try to find the good in everyone, and they tend to be very trusting individuals. All right, now these categories give insight into not only the unique way that that God has made you, 
But that unique way can also help you identify your purpose and how you can utilize your gifts with, with, where, you, with where you work, where you live, your everyday life. And so which one of these or which two or three of these most accurately represents you? I want you to write it down. I want you to maybe write it on your phone or on the bulletin. Now take a look at verse 11 as Peter explains why embracing our gifts is so important, the motivation behind it all. Talking about gifts, he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. And so, so what, why do we have these gifts? Why do we have these abilities? Why do we have these resources? Why do we have this money? Why, why have I walked through these experiences in life? I mean, what is my purpose? What is the greater goal? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever, amen. You see, your gifts have the potential to show people around you about a God who loves them very much. And we're told right here that that God is actually most glorified in us when we serve others by, by using our abilities to love them. And so learning to utilize our gifts is a unique way that we can live from victory rather than this pressure to live for victory. All right, two weeks ago, uh, our high school pastor, Ross Langston, on our Newburgh campus, preached and did an, an amazing job. And I got to tell you, since he preached on that weekend, many of you have sent me messages on Facebook. You, you've emailed me. I mean, you've told me how great Ross did. And he was just so amazing, connected in a way that you never understood before. About two days after he preached, we're sitting in a meeting, and someone from our communications department said, Guys, you won't believe it. Online for Ross's sermon last weekend, we all already have three times the amount of views for a normal weekend because his sermon was that awesome. <laughs> We've got a problem. I got so sick of hearing, I said, you know what, I'm going to leave you off. So I go and make a hospital call over at Deaconess and uh, I'm calling on some people that are in there for various reasons, and literally the first room that I walk into, again, just relieved to get a break from, you know, all the Ross love, and I, I walk into the, I walk into the, the, the room where, where this elderly lady is, I sit down, and I start talking with her, and uh, start making uh, some small talk, and, and I said, you know, can I pray for you? She said, oh, I, I would love that. She said, but, but before you do that, she didn't tap my arm, she said, I, I just got to tell you something. I heard one of the best sermons the other day. I didn't pray for her. <laughs> I'm kidding, I did. But there's something about when we come together to use our gifts like that, it's a little bit humbling because we're reminded, you know what? Our gifts aren't about us. It's not, a, it's not about the person behind the gift. It's not even about the gift itself. It's about the giver of the gift. That's the purpose of our, our gifts. And so when we come together like that, we, we see in a way that we maybe never would before if our gifts didn't merge together like that about who God is. And we see his grace in its various forms, as Simon Peter said right here. It's a good thing that, that we have to keep our focus on Jesus because We can so easily get so fixated on certain gifts and abilities that we have that we can miss the gorilla, right? It's about Jesus. 
And so often we think that, you know, our gifts can only be used inside the walls of the church and we maybe have a very limited view of of where our gifts can be utilized. We tend to separate our abilities. Maybe you've always thought that your gifts were only to be used on the weekend or maybe it's your your small group and that's it. And you kind of compartmentalize it and then you move on. And the other six days of the week, you you don't really use it and and that's just what you've always thought. And believe me, it's important that you use your gifts at church and, and to build up the church. But let me ask you something. What if your gifts were meant to be used for something much greater than just a weekend service or a small group gathering? What if your gifts weren't just for other Christians? Is it possible, is it possible that one of the reasons why you have the gifts that you do is because the people around you need it most? I mean, what would it look like if instead of expecting your friends and coworkers to find Jesus at our Newburgh or West campus, you actually took Jesus to them. Now, let's be straight for a second, right? The eight different counties that we are targeting in, in our five-year vision, over 180,000 people do not have a church home and more than likely do not know Jesus Christ. Let's just imagine for a second that all 180,000 show up at either our West campus or our Newburgh campus for a weekend service. All right, just to give you perspective, we can maybe accommodate five, 6,000 between both campuses, and, and <clears throat> that, that's a little bit of a stretch. But imagine if all 180,000 people showed up because that, that's where Jesus is. I mean, that, that's the environment where they can learn about him. How crazy would that be? I mean, how chaotic would it be? I mean, you think it's hot in here now. Can you imagine? I mean, our AC system couldn't keep up with the amount of bodies that that would be in our different rooms. The hallways would be jam-packed. Some of you are so stinking territorial over where you sit. World War III is going to break out because all these people that are here and more than likely going to use some pretty colorful language as you leave the parking lot later because there are just so many people, so congested, right? And you see, if, if we are only seeing people's proximity to Jesus as getting them to a church or a location or a campus, then you know what? It's gonna be more of a barrier than anything else. And so what if rather than people coming to us to find Jesus, we said, we're we're gonna take Jesus to you. And so let's land the plane. Let's get real practical with this, okay? You wrote down something a second ago that describes a gift that describes how you are wired as a person. Here's what I challenge you to do this week, okay? I challenge you to to take that pattern, that category that that you wrote down, and I want you to find a way to love somebody in your life utilizing the gift that you have, okay? Now, I'm gonna leave it a little bit open-ended because I want you to own this. It'd be really easy to hear a message like, that was great, that was one, one Ross, but you know, it's still great, and go, (laughs) I'm working through it. My counselor says it's therapeutic. Go in one ear and out the other, but to never do anything about it. That's what we often do is we hear something great and then we, there's no application, there's no obedience attached to it. And so I want you to own this. What would it look like for you to use your gift to love somebody who needs to be loved? What would it look like for you to use your ability to show somebody the value that they have in their life this week? If you don't know where to begin, begin talking with your small group about it. Begin talking with your spouse or friend. Hey, how how do you think I can utilize how I've been wired to love people uh, around me? Maybe a win for you this week is showing up at the office, being on time, recognizing that your work, wherever it is that you work, it matters. You're making a difference. It's significant. And the best thing that you can maybe do for the kingdom of God is is to embrace your role with whatever vocation you have and, and to do work with excellence. And so how, how, can, how can you do this this week as, 
as you know and as you walk out of here, that you have everything that you need to win where you are. Let's pray. Jesus, you don't need us, but you allow us to be part of what you're doing all across this world. And God, we live in an area where your hope is needed more than ever, and it just seems like at times that the darkness and brokenness and so much pain, it, it, it tends to be winning. It tends to be going on the offensive. But would you just continue to remind us that, that you have promised us victory, that, that we will win. And, and the power that is inside of us for, for those of us who have the Holy Spirit and are followers of Jesus, the power in us is far greater than the power that is before us. And Jesus, we have the opportunity to live from victory, not for victory. Because when we live for victory, that, that leads to anxiety. There, that's a lot of pressure. And, and all of a sudden, it becomes about us. It becomes all about our gifts rather than the giver, rather than you, our Heavenly Father, who has saved us, who has redeemed us, and you've given us grace even when we didn't deserve it. God, we want to live on mission, and we want to continue living and loving in a way that brings you honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.